Um, so the reading is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, and can be found on page 1217 in the Church Bibles. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, open our hearts that we might hear what you're saying to us today through those words from Peter. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Is that all right? No? A bit louder? Okay. Good. Okay, so Advent is here. It's here. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I love Advent. The calendars are being opened, the chocolates are being scoffed, the candles are being lit, and I'm rocking my purple jumper. Yes, I love Advent. But listen, Christ is on his way. Christ is on his way. Someone asked me this morning, when is Jesus going to come back? And I said, um, I don't know, but I hope it's today. She went, oh, it can't be today. I haven't caught my Christmas pud yet. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> this evening, we're going to hear from Peter, the old, mature Peter, the Peter who's writing from a prison cell in Rome, the Peter who would shortly be martyred, the Peter who, despite all his suffering, could write about his joyful, living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, when I think about Advent, the word probably most associated with it in the church is hope. We have this hope in us, don't we? The hope of eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. But hope is a kind of word we've mishandled a little bit in our lexicon, in our modern-day parlance, isn't it? Don't you think? We've kind of come up with um, this idea of wishful thinking hope. And I think there's probably a few categories that, that hope would fit into these days. And uh, one of them is barbecue hope. It's what I call barbecue hope, you know, when we say, uh, I hope it doesn't rain on Sunday for our church barbecue in December. <laughs> and then we have a, a sporting hope, don't we? You know, I hope Man United continue their, their slide into mediocrity <laughs> this season. <laughs> and then we have the social hope, don't we? 
Oh, I hope she doesn't come to my Christmas party. <laughs> and then we have the political hope, don't we? Come December the 12th, I hope they don't get in. <laughs> well, when we treat this word hope a little less flippantly, who or what are we putting our hope in today? Today's culture doesn't, uh, well, can't be classed as hopeless, but it does lack hope. Now, intrinsic in all of our humanity is the goodness of God. He's got his thumbprint all over us. That's why we do such wonderful things to, to um, help our fellow human beings. We try to alleviate poverty and suffering, and we're working hard to turn this oil tanker of climate change around. But without God as our bedrock of hope, we have a kind of misdirected hope. And really, it's a wishful thinking hope. Why? Because it hopes in itself. We have uh, the myth of progress, don't we, where we uh, think that as long as uh, uh, we keep um, trying a little bit harder, spending a bit more money, getting a little bit more clever, a bit more research, a bit more technology, the world will be a better place. But actually, it won't be unless our hope is built on Jesus Christ. Who or what are we placing our hope in this evening? Now, a couple of years ago, I had a dream. Not I have a dream. I had a dream. And I don't normally get dreams which I would say are from God, but this one, I think, was from God. And it stayed with me for quite a while. I can still see it vividly now. And I didn't share it with Abigail for a while, my wife, um, but I did eventually. And in this dream, there I was standing at night in a field with uh, people in front of me. I could see the silhouettes of their, their heads. And we're all looking up at the sky. And uh, I could see the clouds going past the moon. And then suddenly the moon disappeared. And there was the sign of the cross in the sky. And I knew it was the sign of the Son of Man in my dream. I knew that's what it was. And I started shouting, yes, 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 with everything I had in me. I was so elated. I was so joyful. It was like a, a joyful roar from within my soul. But the thing was, nobody else around me was shouting. Everyone was silent. And then I woke up. I just knew that, that was from God. So let's leave the dream world, though, for a second and um, turn to a more reliable, passionate outburst of praise in the writing of Peter. Now, Peter is writing to the early church in uh, Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey. He's writing from the prison cell in Rome, and he's writing to encourage them because they are going through uh, difficulties in their faith. They are Gentile Christians living out their faith in a pagan culture. And Peter though he's going through trials himself, is writing to encourage the early church. And this passage is absolutely key for us today. It's key for Advent. I think it's a really well-chosen passage by, uh, by Tim, if I may say so. And here's some of the key words that crop up within uh, this passage. You might want to just take your phone out or drop them down on a piece of paper or something like that because these words are so, so important for us. Praise, great mercy, new birth, living hope, inheritance, shielded, salvation, rejoice, joy. Grab hold of these words this evening. Chew them over through Advent. They're crucial to our understanding of who we are as Christians 
and where we're all heading, the trajectory of where we're heading as we head towards the end of time. So, the passage starts with worship in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But why praise be? Well, because of three wonderful things. Mercy, God has shown us mercy when we deserve no mercy. New birth, God has given us new birth. We're born again, we regenerate, we are new creations in Jesus. And God has given us a living hope, not a wishful thinking hope, a living hope. All brought about by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what exactly is this living hope then that we have? Well, Peter says in verse 4 that it's an inheritance. An inheritance. I don't know what your experience of earthly inheritance is. Maybe you've inherited some property from a loved one who passed away or some money. Maybe it's been a real blessing to you. Maybe you've inherited something from a loved one and you think, what on earth is that and where's my nearest charity shop? Or maybe someone has dangled the carrot of inheritance over your life whilst they were still alive to emotionally manipulate you. There's all sorts of things, all sorts of connotations with this word inheritance, isn't there? I read about a story the other day about a guy called Roger. Roger was 67. He had a wife and two sons. But sadly, Roger died. And in his will, he left a secret bequest of three and a half thousand pounds to seven of his mates on the proviso that they'd all go together and have a boozy weekend in Europe. So, being the good friends that they were, they went over to Europe and had a boozy weekend. After it, it was clear they were starting to feel a little bit guilty about spending this money. So, uh, one of them, being the courageous chap he was, wrote to kind of apologize to the family, but wrote to them via their local press, left a note in their local newspaper saying, um, we'd just like to say, my friends and I, uh, how sorry we are to um, Roger's wife and two sons for spending most of their inheritance. We um, spent most of it on beer and the rest we wasted. What an awful thing to write, don't you think? What an awful thing to write but they were in some way feeling a little bit guilty. I don't know what your experience of inheritance is, but what kind of inheritance is it that Peter is speaking about here? Well, it is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that you and I are all set to inherit because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a kingdom that can't perish, won't spoil, and will not fade. Yet with such a promise... Can we trust that it's true for each of us? Can we trust that inheritance is bona fide, legitimate? Maybe our own experience with earthly inheritance makes us a little bit doubtful of what's really in store for each of us. Can God really be that kind to me? Or will I just slip into heaven through the back door, go and stand next to Phil Sheldrake at the back and wait that Phil Ritchie comes down from the front sometimes to say hello? Will it really be like that? Well, yes, we can trust that this inheritance is for each and every one of us. We can trust Jesus. 
Because it's the kingdom of God. It's been set aside for each one of us. You know, the Bible speaks about us being co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs, not just, you know, friends with Jesus forever, but co-heirs. We're set to inherit all that is rightfully Jesus's. You know, the Father's going to give his son the kingdom, and he's going to share it with us. I find it staggering that this servant king, Jesus Christ, the servant king, continues to be the servant king, the humble king, throughout eternity. And he shares everything that gets given to him with each of us. I find that staggering, don't you? And we're each set to be co-heirs with Christ. And guess what? Yes, this kingdom is right there ready for us now. It's kept there for us. It is coming one day. We've sung about it. It's coming for each and every one of us. You see, the kingdom of God is ready to go. At some point, God is going to say, yeah, that's it. Let's go. Here we are. The trumpet's going to sound. One of those days is going to happen. You better hope you've caught your Christmas bud. And if this kingdom is our inheritance, if it is, and if it's ready to go, this should cause each of us to rejoice because we don't live in hope. We have a living hope. A hope that lives inside each of us. It's not a barbecue hope. It's not a sporting hope. It's not a social hope. It's not a political hope. It is a rock, steady, dynamic, vibrant hope that lives inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. My hope is built on But I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in on Christ the Solid rock, I stand. All other ground is... Yeah, come on. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that hope gives us perspective when we go through grief and all kinds of trials, which uh, Peter speaks about in verse 6. And our faith, in verse 7, Peter writes, when we go through trials and tribulations and suffering and grief. Our hope is worth more than gold. It's so precious to God that we choose to fix our eyes on him when we go through tough time. You know, suffering is a mystery. God doesn't cause suffering. He's with us in the suffering, though. That's his promise. But somehow, in some way, God uses the suffering so that it's not just suffering, you know? But instead, that the knocks, the pain and the suffering we go through in a fallen world, the pain and all of that, all, all that we experience in this out-of-kilter world, is not wasted. Not a drop is wasted. But it's used by the God of hope to get us even more ready to receive the inheritance that's waiting for us. That's the mystery. Our faith is worth more than gold to Jesus Christ. Gold can be destroyed, can't it? Be heated up and destroyed. But despite sufferings and grief, God will not permit our souls to be destroyed. Because he's our living hope. And so at the end of our lives, our faith will be proved more genuine because, mysteriously, the grief and the trials have somehow refined the faith in each of us. It's made it more real even purer, I guess, because we've had to trust God with everything that we've got when we've gone through hard times. When the world and its pain have scarred us, 
when people have hurt us, when institutions have damaged us. Now the last part in verse 7 can be read in two ways. Peter writes, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our Advent living hope, he returns to find us, praising him, giving him the glory, and all the honor. How wonderful. You know, he returns to see people like me going, yes, 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 and you doing that too. But what if, we can read that another way, what if he returns to give us praise, give each of us glory, and each of us honor, because he's so utterly pleased that we've clung to him through this earthly life, so relieved that we've stood on him, the solid rock. Verse 8 struck me when I was preparing this. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Joy is is such a powerful emotion, isn't it? It's not a surface-level emotion. Joy is from the soul. It's from the guts. It's visceral, isn't it? It's raw. Joy comes from such a deep place within us. And we, it is possible, it's entirely possible to have joy even though you're going through a hard time in life. And many of you will attest to that. I found a, a really helpful quote from uh, the writer and, and speaker and church leader, Tim Keller, about suffering and joy. He writes, what you actually have is that the joy of the Lord happens inside the sorrow. It doesn't come after the sorrow. It doesn't come after the uncontrollable weeping. The weeping drives you into the joy. It enhances the joy. And then the joy enables you to actually feel your grief without it sinking you. I found that very powerful. Advent should be about joy. It shouldn't be somber. Yes, it should be reflective and preparatory, but it should also be about joy. Why? Because we are receiving the goal of our faith. It's on its way. And that goal is salvation. Salvation. The rest of this passage, verses 10 to 12, speaks about how the prophets of old longed uh, to kind of understand and get their heads around um, who it was the Holy Spirit was putting upon their hearts to speak about, to foretell uh, Jesus and the church. And, and they longed to sort of understand it. But, but we know Peter's saying to the early church and, and to us tonight, we know that, that it's about Christ, our living hope. That's who the prophets were speaking about. And we're all caught up with that. So as we enter into Advent again tonight, today, what kind of people is Peter saying we are called to become? Well, firstly, we're called to be worshippers, aren't we? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, look what he's done for each of us. That's why the mercy, the new start, the new birth, the regeneration of our souls, the sanctification of our souls as we go through life, as the Holy Spirit chips away at us from the inside out like a master sculptor so that at the end of our lives we resemble Jesus Christ. I am a new creation. No more 
in condemnation. Awful tune, great words. <laughs> if that's not worth opening all your advent doors in one go and scoffing all chocolates, I don't know what is. I am a new creation. You are new creations because you are in him and you are receiving the goal of your salvation. Secondly, we're called to be joyful, aren't we? Joyful worshippers in whatever circumstance because our souls are shielded by God now. Shielded by him. Not shielded from suffering. Not shielded from grief. Not shielded from pain. But shielded from the power of the grave that would try and rob us from that inheritance that's been set aside for each and every one of us. And thirdly, well, we're called to be people who look at what's coming down the tracks. A renewed, transformed, restored world. That's what's on its way. And an inheritance to go with it for each of us. We don't live in hope. We've got a living hope. Something concrete. Something rock solid. Something dependable. When I stood there in my dream, I couldn't understand why the people around me weren't saying anything. Was it the culture around me that I was standing with? People who didn't understand the hope that we have? Or was it the church who'd fallen asleep and forgotten the living hope? It's been promised. May the Lord, when he comes, find each of us watching and waiting. Amen.